0: Welcome, everybody, to the Haunted Hacker podcast. Um, tonight, we have Kurt. I'm not going to murder his last name. I'll let him pronounce it when I introduce him. Um, tonight is uh, my third podcast this week, I think. Yeah, third. A um, little bit of news, a little bit of housekeeping before we get started. Um, news, nothing new other than uh, I'll be speaking to ICE and DHS. ICE this month, DHS next month. Um, also, Cyprus on Tuesday and the London Met um, Cyber Prevent Intervention Workshop for the kids on Tuesday as well. I think it's going to be crazy because I have to get up at 2 a.m. for Cyprus and then 4 a.m. for uh, London. So, Tuesday I won't be getting any sleep. Um, so, without further ado, I'm going to ask Kurt to unmute himself and introduce himself. Kurt, I don't want to murder your last name so i'll let you do that can, can you hear me right now <laughs> absolutely, absolutely okay
1: my name's kurt suzdak I, i'm actually a retired fbi agent a former um, former uh, attache from um, the u.s in, um, in iraq for two years i ran a cyber a cyber unit um, for a number of years I, which was an offensive operations unit I'm I'm noto- maybe notorious for the fact that I'm considered the, the consigliere of FBI agents since anytime FBI agents get in trouble they call me because I'm I know you laugh I am I wrote a book the FBI whistleblower handbook which is um because the FBI has a special secret court where they handle whistleblower matters unlike every other organization in the country and I I'm well I'm I'm regarded um as well tuned to that um to that legal proceeding and have done a lot of work within it. And I'm just, a am a, a cybersecurity guy. I'm actually um, just started working on a cyber course for Quinnipiac University and doing some other stuff within um, within the realm, which is my true love. Law, boring, cyber is just the real world. It's the mixed martial arts of business.
0: That's that's true, that's true. And I think this us uh, red teamers are probably the ninjas in the industry. Um, so yeah, we got the chance to talk, I guess it was about a month ago, um, which we had a, a really good conversation, probably could have lasted for hours, I think it lasted like two hours maybe, um, and we have uh, a lot in common. I have a special place in my heart for the FBI, um, <laughs> for other reasons, obviously. Uh, so yeah, um, tell me about what it's like to be in the FBI, first of all, and and, and what it's like to to come under fire of your own organization?
1: The FBI has probably the best employee base of any agency in this country. You don't have, um, they have a very limited um, workers comp problem because because in police departments, there's a lot of workers comp, but you don't have that. Agents tend to, will get hurt and we'll get right back in, in, into the mix. The agents are, and, and employees are phenomenal. Once you get above man the the supervisor level, they've lost their mind. And, and because and here's the re- there's a lot of reasons. One is because the bureau was able to create its own standards for whistleblowers. They they literally put the whistleblower um, their whistleblower court and they create it within the Office of Attorney Recruitment and Management, which makes no sense. There's no administrative judge. There's just a bunch of People that work in this office that adjudicate whistleblower cases. And and the vast majority of these whistleblower cases have to do with, hey, my boss is promoting his girlfriend to, to five levels. I think which one just came out with the Office Inspector of General. I had, I have um, I'm working with one one um individual who she was sexually harassed and then she went to the employees' assistance program. And the the, the person in the employee's assistance program actually sent her a sex toy. Wow. And and, and this person was a supervisor. And you sit sit there going, in any other organization in the world, Mm. they would get fired. Gone. In the FBI, they actually gave this guy, um, they gave him a a, a incentive award two weeks after she filed her complaint. She called me up and I said, look, you have to file in federal court because they're going to burn you out. Mm-hmm. because they've already, they've already picked sides. I had um. the employees don't want to put up with this stuff. This is not, this is not anything that any agent wants to have. The, the, the FBI is fidelity, bravery, integrity is their symbol, but it's really accountability. Mm-hmm. If you make a mistake, you, you, you admit it. We're required to, everyone's required to admit their mistakes in the FBI. If they ask you, you have to be truthful, which is what we do. And then um, you're accountable in whichever manner. And the FBI is actually pretty good. If you if you do something really stupid, you're probably gonna get uh, get someone they call time on the bricks of a few days suspension, and then you're gonna come back and all forgiven. If you report misconduct, there's a good chance you're going to be burned out of the FBI. Right. And and I have I have um, people ranging from exec senior executives who I'm working with, supervisors, managers, headquarters um, headquarter unit chiefs who have reported misconduct thinking, Hey, that's what we're supposed to do. It's required. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they find themselves under the gun, um, I, under the gun and, 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 and they're being abused because basically the, within management, the philosophy is sit down and shut up We're the bureau you're not. In fact, I actually had a, I had a boss who I managed to get thrown out of the FBI. He once sat at my desk and sat at my desk and turned to everyone and said, this is my world you just work here and that's all that's awe inspiring and because you this guy had actually been thrown out of the the executive service once for misconduct and he worked somehow worked his way back up and we're a government agency you ever you people will talk about the fbi's within the fbi the managers will the family and and senator grassley calls it yeah it's one of the crime families within the bureau (laughs) And, that, and that's there's a lot of truth to that. Grassley, Senator Grassley, has really been a protector of, of the um, of FBI employees, and I've heard plenty of managers talk poorly about um, the senator, but the senator gets it. It's not about, it's about the people. If you right. and, and, and the thing is, when you look at agents and you look at what people have done to protect our country, mm-hmm. I um it's stunning. I I, I was in a, um, I was in a um a kinetic. Um, activity in the middle of a road at one dark night in a combat zone. And an agent came up, ran up into the road, and stood behind me, kneeled behind me, in a place where there was literally machine gun fire coming. And finally, he was bumping up against my back and banging. I'm like, what are you doing? And he looked at me and said, your boss told me to stay on your back. So he physically went up there and used his body armor to protect my back. And that's... Yeah. You don't get any better than that. I mean, I watched some of these, some of the agents that are spectacular in their thought process. Mm-hmm. And, and one, of, one of my, one of the agents I've worked with was just a top tier undercover. He, um, he reported that another agent um, conducted basically he, the other agent had lost drugs, had drugs lost. I mean, he basically had them, the source stole the drug. The informant stole a few of the drugs that the, Undercover actually um, reported it, and then the undercover was subject to punitive actions. And that's, it, crazy. that's it's crazy. It doesn't yeah. make it. Nobody, nobody in the FBI, no, no one at supervisor level or, or below will understand it.
0: Yeah, and and what's really strange is like when I first had my my very first meeting with the FBI, my little come to Jesus meeting. One of the <laughs> One of, the comments they, right? One of the comments they made that really struck me odd was okay, from here on out, from this point out, everything you have to say has to be factual, or we can come back and charge you for lying to the FBI. And I, that shook me. I was like, wait a minute. So if I'm if I remember something wrong or if I leave a piece out that I don't remember, does that qualify? Like I was trying to go through all of the the possibilities of what could get me into trouble. Um, but they have this, this air about them in those meetings that, you know, they're not your friend. Um, and then once I started working with them, you know, you and I talked about the OIAs, of, you know, otherwise illegal activity uh, forms that I had to sign all the time and, and the identities they give you. And, you know, it, it, one of the questions that I have and you being, you know, former FBI and, and know the internal structure. Is it just me or does the FBI go to people like me and, you know, people like other people in the community to get them to do the things that they just don't have the technical abilities to do? Is, is that, is that why they go to people like me to, to help them?
1: You, they look going to you, not just technical abilities, the ability to get access, the ability. I mean, first of all, if, the, if, if the FBI is talking to someone, and it's, it's not just, it's not just someone who's a criminal or, an inform- I mean, you have people that are well-placed who have access to some very unusual things that are of national interest. And, and so, it's, so usually you think the traditional informant is for a criminal enterprise, but that's not, a lot of times that's not it. But the FBI has to manage obtaining all this information from all this, these groups and keeping it together and making sure it's processed properly and handling them, it's, it's very difficult to do. I mean, it, and people don't think of informants as, eh, that's okay with FBI. Handling, inf- handling sources, which mm. would, that's the Bureau refers to them, is, the, is one of the f- two or three things that is the FBI. If you can't, as an FBI agent, deal with people, you're not, you're not doing a great job. You're, not, you're doing a very poor job. Mm-hmm. And the people that I've, I, people think, oh, you get paid money for being a source. I've paid very, very few people any money because most of people do it because of God and country and they, mm-hmm. they know what the right, right and wrong is. And, and, and they by the end of it, I mean, it's hard, it's it are, by the end of it, some of them are friends. They are, if, we, you know, you, you can't let people, if that's not what's going on. Then there's something wrong because the person you're dealing with, if they don't if they don't trust you as an FBI agent, why would they do anything for you?
0: Exactly. Exactly. And, it's, and it's, the the handlers I had were, were pretty cool. Um, one of them, of course, he was straight out of Quantico, ex-Marine, big Asian guy. Um, really nice. I, I, to this day, I still don't remember his name. Um, <laughs> but I do remember how he emailed me and the first time he emailed me, it was from an email address that was, there are four lights four at gmail.com. Right. So it's a, it's a flip back to star Trek, you know, where they were uh, going after Picard and trying to brainwash him. Um, so that, that really stuck with me. Uh, but you know, when, when you deal with that kind of circumstance and you know, it's a very pressurized environment, um, on both sides, I, I think, because I was dealing with a nation state group that they wanted information from and Department of Energy wanted information from. Um, so there was a lot of tension. And sometimes it was two o'clock in the morning phone calls. And I, I can't imagine being on the other end of the stick where I'm having to control or, or keep this source in bounds um, at the same time, kind of navigating to the information that, that I, I need to get. Um, and I think that some agents are, are are better than that, are better at that than other people. Uh, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I, you know, it's the the best the best sources of information are the are the individuals who know what's important, and who are able to communicate that effectively. That is because many times you may not. Uh, anyone who, any law enforcement officer may not have that many dealings with somebody. They may mm-hmm. go out, do their whole thing and then have one single meeting in three months where they explain what's going on, especially if it's in a high risk environment or a mm-hmm. combat zone or somewhere where, I mean, if you're in, in a war zone, you may be dealing with someone, and a third party sees you, they take that person out and they execute them. Mm-hmm. It's not, this is, this is a real stakes and you never know who's, you never know who is going to take umbrage by the fact that some, they think somebody's communicating with law enforcement and and hurt them, I mean it's it, it, that's I mean and that's the that for I I can't think of an exception where somebody has ever played down the, the, the security of a source. That's that really is the most important thing: do no harm. If they're if if the agents aren't doing that and you don't trust them, how many of the agents did you trust to that they had your back?
0: Uh, Probably one, but that was years ago. He, he wasn't one of my handlers, but my handlers, I didn't trust them at all.
1: That that's, that really is, I mean, there's something missing there, Mm -hmm. but, uh, but again, a lot of times it's, it's hard because the, I mean they call they want to call you up at X hour and ask you dumb questions about things you have no nothing about because the bureau is requiring them to ask you about whether there's any domestic terrorism related to you know the Irish in the country and, and they right. why are you calling me on this stuff? W- what do you bother me about this? Just tell them no because I don't know any Irish. I'm not in that area. but you know you know that phone call and it's none of the agents want to do that. But they have, they're required to, and, and what you're talking about, that skill of, of, of being authentic mm. and, um, and allowing somebody to feel like they are protected is, is the job for a, a number of agents. And, and it's a skill. It's, new agents, it takes years to develop that.
0: Right, right. And unfortunately, I think that the agent that was my main handler was straight out of Quantico. Um, and then he had another guy with him. There's always two. And and for some reason it's, it's one young guy and then one really old guy. Um, and I think the the older guy was probably, uh, kind of guiding him to keep me in balance. Um, but it was kind of a weird situation. So I I got paid, um, cash, of course that nothing was on paper, which I thought was really weird. Um, but later on I learned why, um, and they didn't call me by my name. They didn't address me by my name. Um, I had to have a burnt, you know, burner email and they gave me a kind of a handle or a nickname, which I thought was really funny because when they found me, I was on Twitter and I had sunglasses in the picture. So my, my handle within the FBI was shades and everything I signed, I had to sign it with shades, which, which is really weird because, you know, when you're writing your name or you're signing a piece of paperwork that you've received cash, it's like, Okay, you start writing your your actual name. Um, that took me some time to get used to. But the, the weirdness about um, you know how, how they would approach me and probe me for you know can you get this or can you get that, and then working a deal between basically them and the threat actor was was really strange because I felt like the middleman, and I felt like either side could burn me at any time um, because I felt like they didn't have the knowledge of. That type of environment, and they used me because I knew that environment, and it felt like they didn't really understand the concepts of, of what went on within that group and, and that type of environment. Um, and it may have been new to him; it may have been his first case. But you know, of course, this was stateside. You know, the FBI that I've ran into overseas are completely different. Um, but yeah, it was it was stateside in Houston. But eventually, you know, everything they got what they wanted. Um, I was able to go about my way. Everything happened from there on was, was kind of crazy, but, um, while I was working with them, I, I did feel protected to a certain extent. Uh, I knew that if that group were to come after me, that they would help me out. Um, but after that, you know, it was different. So tell me about
1: what I, I, would, ra- I just want to make one comment. Yeah, sure. But think of it like this, that there's no document, you, uh, there's no document, no record anywhere in the Bureau that's going to have your name on it yeah that your name your name is no matter i mean i just watched i was just reading about a police department that had records stolen from a breach and they were saying well we don't think there was any source information um yeah that's a problem yeah right because <laughs> that yeah so that i mean that the, the, the bureau, bureau agents understand i mean generally there may be exceptions but bureau agents understand that the you, that's 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 critical. They're not going to have your name attached with anything. Now yeah, I'm sure you've heard that if you have to testify, you're right. going to testify in true name and that happens. Mm-hmm. But, but again, uh, I I look at the fact, well, you know more than the agents. Well, those are smart agents. Right. Because they they're, they they've tapped not only someone who has access but someone who has knowledge, technical skills. Right. And, and that's 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 where you where you want to be. You want you want to deal with the smarter people in the world and you can have you can have sources of information where, where you're just asking them for technical information that mm. has nothing to do with access it's right. just they want to be able to ask a important information to about a question that no one in the bureau knows about that's confidential mm. and, and and that i'm sure you've had that with what the heck does this mean right and, you, and you're like you're like you're a jerk. You don't, you're, you don't know anything. And he explain it to them and they walk away and they take notes and they're like, okay, now we know. Yeah, but they, they actually, you can't know everything. Yeah, they actually
0: showed up to the meeting with a interpreter, um, a Russian interpreter. And I thought it was really funny because I sat down at the table and my, my lawyer, great lawyer, um, I don't know if he watches my podcast or not, but David Adler, who is former CIA, yes. was my lawyer. Um, excellent lawyer. And he instructed me before we w- even went up into the building. Which, first of all, was a really weird building. I was going to the U.S. Attorney's office, which was in a Wells Fargo building in downtown Houston. But David told me he said, "Just don't say anything. I'll work this. Um, you have something that they need, so maybe we can get you know some 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 payback for this. You know, maybe we can get something out of it." Uh, and we did. Um, you know, I thought it was really funny. The first thing that, that I asked for, they said, "Okay, we need you to get." access to this. And we need you to talk to these people. We need you to get this. And I said, well, I'm not doing that on my computer. And so they offered to buy me a computer and give it to me. And I said, no, no, no. How about you just give me the cash that you would spend on the computer? I'll go buy my own. Um, Cause I was like totally terrified that they would give you something that was already tapped. And I was like, no, no, no. Um, but I did, you know, I did work well with them. Um, the, the operation that we did was kind of convoluted towards the end. Um, but that was during the 2016 election, and they were chasing down ghosts that, that I think resided within maybe the agency as well as within politicians, because they were trying to find out who was manipulating the uh, voting systems. Um, so it was, it was a really interesting uh, time for me. So tell me, Kurt, like, tell me what it was like for you. What, what did you go through that brought you out the other side and said, hey... I need to help people within the agency that is, you know, being treated wrong or being treated like I was. So what brought that on? What, what, what chain of events led to you becoming what you are now?
1: When I have, um, I think I would think it's the, um, the war in Iraq because I, I think that I watched so many good people go in there with standards and have standards and be hurt by standards that i don't and, and watching agents that, that did just remarkable stuff and then they deserve managers that were better than the, than they had and i'm I, I think that there's been numerous new york post articles about about different um, sexual harassment and other problems. And, and I think where's the standards, the standards don't apply to the bosses. And that mm-hmm. kept going. At one point, the, the FBI actually tried to wiretap me. They had a meeting in um, in the New Haven FBI and they, they, they had the the lawyer and they had a few of the, the few ASACs, second charge and, and some other people. And they, they brought in a technical agent and they said, here's what we want to do. We want to put up a wiretap on, Kurt Suzdak and Omar Montoya or Omar Montoya, but it was going to catch me either way. That was the targets were the, the same. And mm-hmm. the agent looked at him and said, first of all, that's never going to happen. Second of all, I'm going to forget we had this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> he walked out but with his, and that's what agents do. He knew what he knew right there was they were going to try to get a consensual wiretap, which wasn't correct that new Haven, they would never let a field office run that against their own people. They would do that from, some, from a big office like New York or headquarters, but they're not going to let some small office try to do that nonsense. And so the agent understood that because he had the technical prowess to understand that and he had the experience and he said, no way. So he walked out and told someone else right away about what are these guys doing? The other person walked out actually took notes on the interview that he had that the meeting that he had with the technical agent wrote the whole thing down, took the notes, brought them to his house and kept the notes in his house. And we found out about, I found out about this afterwards because the person admitted, yes, I have the notes in my house. And then the, the FBI either seized them or ordered the, the records to be um, taken into custody. But it's like, we, I'm not, of, of all the people in the world, you're, you're looking at, what are you wiretapping me for? I actually, at the, at the end of it, I, they, um, I'm, there was a judge. I actually, I actually sued the Bureau and I, I was beating the living daylights out of them. They didn't know which way it was coming and what the reason was because the employees were on my side. I understood how to, how to tap the resources of the employees who didn't mm-hmm. want any of that nonsense and were defending me. Even ones who didn't like me were defending me, which I thought was remarkable. Yeah. That's the best. That's and, awesome. Um, But, but at one point we were getting, we were getting close to the trial. The, the magistrate asked if I would settle the case. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a licensed attorney here. I'm not, I just want there. There's right and wrong simply. So, but I'm, I'm licensed to practice in Connecticut in federal court. So I'm not going to embarrass the court. I'm not going to, I'm going to embarrass the people here, but the FBI is going to be better for it. So after that discussion, somebody from the U.S., someone from the, the judges from that district court called up the Depart- uh, Department of Justice, said, you got to settle this case. He goes, this guy's this guy's got him. I mean, he's got the bureau. He's going to hurt the bureau. He knows what he's doing and he's a lawyer. So then the DOJ called up the FBI. The FBI then leaked it to the press down at headquarters and they wrote an article about it, which I think was um, was the article actually discussed other agents committing suicide because of these pressures but they actually had they discussed how the the judges called up and said you got to end this you got to stop this stuff and the bureau um after right after that i was i I drove home my my son was upset because he got off the bus and noticed that there were two vehicles which he would have known were fbi vehicles Mm -hmm. he looked at them and said they're fbi vehicles sitting across the street waiting so he ran home to my wife and said, Hey, there's two FBI vehicles. What are they doing here? Are they here to clip Kurt or, you know, cook my dad or and she's like, no. So I, 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 I drove home just then I, and I, I pulled by my driveway and then stopped because I'll just read a newspaper for a second and see what's going on, pulled forward. And then one of those vehicles came down the road to see if I was parked in the driveway. And then they didn't see my car parked in, right next to my driveway drove stopped right in front of me i identified the head of the field office Mm -hmm. the boss of the field office was doing her own surveillance and when the sac of the field office is doing her own surveillance with 120 agents she's lost she doesn't she can't trust anyone at that point it was just a big laugh and then another police department another police officer on my street saw that knew exactly what it was and push and 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 it turned into a a debacle for him Mm -hmm. and i think within Within a month or two after that, both of the bosses were gone. And one, they, I know that by, by um, rumor mill, I, I heard they told the boss when they settle with the day they settled with me, those people were gone. And that was actually, I think, almost to the day that they settled, they were gone. And then I started getting phone calls from, I had gotten numbers of phone calls from agents that were in completely distraught by by misconduct where they reported stuff and they didn't understand why the the fbi was going after him i, I can count five or six agents who called up that were suicidal that mm-hmm. I, I came home at five o'clock at night i got some agent who i don't know who never met who's calling me up asking me what do i do and you know i, I and and then i i'm doing playing suicide prevention as 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 an ssa in our supervisory special agent in new haven for somebody in another part of the country and do i tell the do i tell the fbi who then would give them a reason to immediately dismiss these people. No.
0: Right.
1: So I have to make sure they're safe and give them guidance. And, and most of the feedback I've gotten was that the guidance was excellent. So I actually took all, took my notes and then put them into a book. And that was the book I wrote after I retired it was just the notes. It was actually reviewed by the FBI. They cleared the book. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and so there's just a set of notes out there for how to, how agents can handle, reporting misconduct right and that, that's t-
0: that's tough too because when you think about it so i know in the ic that, that i was in you know the intelligence community um you're under such strict pressure right and you're expected to be superhuman so if i were to go to let's say my lieutenant and say hey look i'm really depressed what's the first thing that happens they strip you of your security clearance you know, I, I have to think that the FBI would look at it the same way as being like a faulty a faulty character, or you know, there was something wrong with that agent, so we've got to get rid of them because of the fact that they have that human ailment called depression.
1: Well, that that's a huge issue, especially since the, the bureau has deployed so many imp- people to combat zones, mm-hmm. and 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 they have and and with very little, with very little um um therapy afterwards or anything that so they they have a lot of issues now i think that the the standard has to be and i think it really is the, if you're being treated then it's okay if you're untreated mm-hmm. then you then you're suffering consequences and the perfect example of that is the and you and you may not know this but there are some agents who actually have drank alcohol and gotten into you know dwis and 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 then and they and the standard there is you have to go into treatment and then you have to be you can't drink you can't drink and drive and right. if you're not in in that doing that type of um that type of therapy whether it's aa or whatever to to, to prevent that you're not going to survive in the bureau right and but but the, but none i think law enforcement i think law enforcement has a very poor reputation of doing any um any type of therapy for their employees I, I have a friend of mine who's just up the street he, he walked into a house and found i think four children that were stuffed into an oven and burned wow. and they were i mean they were killed in an oven and he he was they provided him no therapy there was no intervention and that's you crazy. just don't yeah you just don't unsee that stuff
0: no and that's, that's something- especially like in the middle east like that stuff sticks with you forever it's not something Common. that you can shake by yourself
1: yeah i mean the, the that was the law of, law enforcement has several problems one is they don't treat they don't they don't um do their therapy they don't respect the mental health of their people very well and they don't, they don't, the intervention is poor i would say the other problem they have is tiktok because <laughs> i am sitting well no, i'm sitting here watching these these shows where they used to say everything, you know, oh these bad app, these bad officers or bad agents are, um, are just the exception. Mm. And now every fifth um, flip on TikTok is some some officer berating somebody or giving a speech to someone or forcing someone out of a car. And the generation right now is being alienated from law enforcement because Mm. they don't understand they're looking at going wait we have rights and why are all these people doing why are all these cops thinking they can do um do this to us why they 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 can actually pull us out of cars they can arrest us they can do the illegal searches those days are on that i think i think with the body cams it's much easier to catch a cop but Mm. tiktok puts it all in the public
0: oh yeah there's actually so i was living on the river here locally and i had a sports bar across the street from me and the the street was very small street it was two lane street but people flew down this road and right before i moved to this location i'm in now um i heard tire squealing and a thud and it sounded like somebody hit another car so i opened up the window and i saw out that this guy in his vehicle had nailed this female and she was she was not in good shape Um, And so all these people start gathering. Uh, I'm I'm in the South, by the way. And the guy who had hit the female was African-American in a predominant white neighborhood. And there was probably about, I I would say, nowhere short of 10 people, uh, 10 cops, all white male cops around this black guy. Um, And I really had to, I I kept the window open, I kept my phone here just in case, because and with cops, it's really difficult. Um, you know, I, I felt like I was obligated to, to make sure that if something happened, I caught it uh, because this definitely was not this guy's fault. You know, she was obviously had been drinking at the pub, came across the street, whack, she got nailed. Um, and there was no crosswalk, and she was not at the light or anything. She just crossed between cars. Uh, so, it, but it's sad that, that you have to think that way nowadays. You have to think about something's going on. I've got to maintain, I've got to watch and make sure like oversee the situation in case it gets out of hand. Um, and I know like with the FBI, it's completely different with with like local law enforcement. Um, you know, you have to think about how much they get paid for one, which is ridiculous. Uh, you know, they, they get paid less than trashmen do and they're putting their lives on the line every day.
1: Um, and of course, no, it's gonna- I think I think they get paid pretty well. Some I of mean, them FBI do. FBI agents. You look at some making some, especially if you're oh, in, yeah. in on Long Island, and making some money. You go to New Orleans, you're making less. But a lot of them are making, um, you know, with overtime. There's 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 things, incentive to keep them in there. Right. Yeah, you know, if you but if you look at the job, it mm. used to be the cops would would give some speech. that, oh they they have a right to to berate someone or give a speech. And now people realize why am I sitting here listening to this stuff? I don't have to. That's not right. their job, right? If and they really, and I think the, the deterrent, the war on drug, I mean, and here's where you get with the war, the war on drugs, were, really gave the police, they were seizing cars, there was that was that Cones. was a huge money maker. Mm. then, or, then um, the war in, in Afghanistan happens. And now we have soldiers protecting the people overseas that are actually growing the heroin. So so the war on drugs isn't really going. And I don't think I don't think anybody that's a street agent in New York or New York is going to think, well, you know, that it's, it's there's there's something wrong now here. If we're you know, if we, if, if we have privates. Getting shot and dying, and are trying to protect an infrastructure that basically the number one commodity is heroin, and that heroin's coming right over to the streets in the U.S. and that you know it, it just looks wrong. And the other thing, the other thing that's amazing is heroin used to be the black drug. Mm. You, it was the African American community. You could arrest. I mean, cocaine. I mean, heroin is much worse than cocaine.
0: Now it's but Midwest. A- now it's Midwest, middle income, middle wealth. <laughs> white families that, that are dealing with heroin
1: yes oxys mm-hmm. the, the great the not, marijuana is not the great gateway drug it's oxycontin oxycodone and i and that was um that turned it from the inner city black kid who's 20 years in jail to now we have mom mm-hmm. who, who just who can't afford oxycontin and that, yeah. and this stuff is cruel i i actually one of one of my up actually i, haven't, I haven't even like the guy until I had I had my throat operated on right after I got back from the Gulf from the Gulf and uh, it was the worst surgery I ever had. I was three weeks of of healing with gauze packed up in my nose. I came <sighs> back to work in the FBI and I was sitting there. I was shaking. I was sweating. And then then um, an agent came up to me, sat at my desk, and um, he looked at me. He said, "Listen, your pupils are the size of pins. Your hands are shaking. You're sweating." He said, "You're having a real rough time. If I see you smiling in the next four days, I'm opening a case on you, because you wow. will, you are on the point where you will be hooked." And he goes, "I'm not going to let that happen." And he he became a my best friend and my partner. But he was serious. I mean, I was I was sitting there. I had thought of it. The, oh, I need to go get some more. But I was that was horrible. The and Oxy was was actually you know oh it was not addictive. Wasn't that the advertisement? that's not addictive. Then middle, then the mom's got it. And then all of a sudden it's not just black America. It's right. everywhere. And, right. and so, and then heroin's everywhere. And in Connecticut, we have no metham, methamphetamines in the middle in the Midwest is still the big thing in Connecticut. There is no meth because heroin's yeah. so cheap. Heroin's cheap because the Taliban kept the heroin prices, kept heroin supply low. But when the U.S. came in, there, heroin got cheap and, and, and is abundant now because they wouldn't stop the flow.
0: Not, not, not only that? that, that's
1: crazy. But not only
0: that, like we gave that whole country back to the Taliban recently. So they're back in business. And it wasn't like they were ever really taken out of business, to be honest with you. Uh, and I, I know we talked a little bit about that in our phone call previously
1: yeah yeah but what a great gift to china i'm gonna give you china here have afghanistan enjoy mm-hmm. it you're gonna love the place china's building the silk road <laughs> That's, i'm just like i'm not i it, we're gonna find out in five years if that was the dumbest thing we ever did or absolutely the most ingenious thing because mm-hmm. that because with the amount of muslims that are being abused in china mm-hmm. how long is it going to be before the, the Muslims in the middle in, in Afghanistan are supporting those guys. Yep. And I think China is going to find out that they decided to have a little alliance with these terrorist organizations. Bad and, mistake. Yeah. You know, very fungible. They're not, there's no one there. That is going to be an interesting lesson for China. And I think they're already learning that lesson.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Um, one thing that, that I experienced after my time with the FBI as a CI was getting caught on every list known to man. Um, the first, the first uh, sign was hitting the airport and getting a 4S uh, boarding pass every single time. And I asked the, the lady at the desk, I said, how come I get this ra- random special screening every single time? It doesn't seem too random anymore. And she goes, well, you're on a list. I was like, "What? you know, you end up on these lists and nobody tells you what they're about. And then I go to a bank and try to get a bank account. Um, Sorry, but you're on a list, a DHS list. And I'm like, wait, which list is this? OFAC. You know, it's like everything happened post dealing with the FBI. And I don't know if it's coincidence or or if it was already happening and I just didn't know it. Um, But it was eye opening the amount of pressure that they can put on an individual based on their lifestyle, um, cutting off things they, they, that every citizen should have. Um, they really put pressure on you. They really make these difficult sometimes.
1: It's not just people outside the FBI. I was ar- I, my, my son is always t- was talking, my youngest son was talking about bad guys and good guys. And I was like, look, at you, you can't talk about that with, when mm. people get arrested because like, nearly everybody that I've ever met that's been arrested has been a good guy doing Mm. stupid things or doing crazy things or things they knew were wrong, but most of it was judged by weakness, but Mm. you know, it's, but, but then they get themselves into these situations where yes, it it can affect your freedom in a number of different ways from Mm. flying to, to having bank. I mean, banks are going to shut down your account if you're a subject of of, of an investigation or related. Mm. I was actually arrested twice in one day as an FBI agent. that's crazy yeah it was by a foreign country and after i got done with that i actually flew back to the back to um to the u.s went to the went to into maine with a with a bunch of military guys and then had to arrest someone who was a spy and because i have my id on me i got they arrested me and the spy, which I thought was smart. And I slept in the same cell with the spot with the guy for the for the remainder until the FBI bailed me out. And it took a their sweet time. It took like six hours to get me out. I had a nice sleep, but it was um, yeah, you know, it's 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 a hard right now. The your freedoms are limited.
0: Oh, and and they're they're at a very fragile state, especially in the US when you look at the way that our government's going, and the way the country's going, and, and the political tensions, and and just the wrongdoing that's going on, everybody's civil liberties and privacy, especially, is so fragile. It's like a piece of glass you put on a slide to look under a microscope that thin and that fragile. I think.
1: I, I don't think the younger the the younger generation really appreciates what privacy is. No, no, they I don't. think they have they have become they have become used to having of selling their privacy for a free application. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's a, How painful. I mean, yeah. and, and again, even the courts I think are recognizing before with phones that there's something different about phones right now versus 30 or 40 years ago. Phones are not just phones. They contain every every bit of it, private information that you may have, including yeah, your think, passwords.
0: I mean, think about it with the, with the Apple iPhone and the watch, right? So you're off doing your thing not only is it recording your heart rate, your medical stuff on your, your, your phone and your watch, but that data, come to find out, is being sent back to Apple. Apple is yeah. getting your health data. Right. Um, I interviewed a guy this week, uh, Jonathan Scott, goes by Data, who um, disclosed a vulnerability in Apple iOS 15.2 um, just previously, just like two weeks ago. And the amount of data that that we're giving back to these companies and the big tech is just insane.
1: It's, I, I actually had a I had a I was consulting with a law firm that was dealing with a person who got arrested and it appeared that their um, the arrest happened because the person who got arrested was the boyfriend of the cops best of the of the cops best friend's wife or mm-hmm. ex wife. So all of a sudden, how coincidentally, it's a, a road stop, who knew, and they get arrested. And it, it was so coincidental. And, and they're like, well, what do we do? And I'm like, well, you have, you have body cameras, you can, you can pull um, their videos, you can pull all the, but then again, maybe you just order the court to turn over their Google history and look at the maps. And then you're going to know if that police officer was sitting right by that house. Mm. because nobody wants to be set up. Maybe and it's possible it wasn't, but I mean, I've it's just been weird coincidences in law enforcement, but nobody wants police officers that are going to set anyone up. Just, right. Because if they're going to do it to them, they're going to do it to you. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's how it works. And, and, but, but then the the law firm was like, oh my, oh my, I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of data. Now mm. I'll go on my little rant about the, about Apple, which is a fine company. And I worked Um, child exploitation as a cyber supervisor i ran i work child exploitation Mm. which is all online exploitation so apple luckily fortunately decided to get into the child exploitation business Mm. so they now are going to scan everyone's phones or apple customers to determine whether they have child exploitation material you know child porn on their webs on their their phone so they're doing that by what checking the hashes for all of the records but you know there's never been a collision when it comes to md5 hashes has there no never. <laughs> I never. Mean, so, so if Apple's not checking the data checking the videos to verify that they're not child porn what are the chances that they make a mistake and turn over some innocent person's information to a police department right and i don't know if there's any worse charge you can have than have be, be accused of you know, of, of creating a possessing child porn. Right. First of all, it gets you a massive time in jail, but, but now Apple, your, my, your phone company's in the, in the, in the business of, of hunting for child porn, of hunting for your child porn. And right. what's great, what's crazy enough is we've already, we already know that there's been incidents where person TV or email or internet personalities have been mm. sent child porn mm-hmm. pers- specifically to be targeted. Yeah. So, where where who who's who would want to have a phone that would have where where the phone company is going to be you know the you know the big brother my god yeah
0: Yeah, exactly and then when you think about so when i was in school one of the books i had to read was 1984 um and i thought back then you know that the internet was just coming into being bbs's were just being built um technology was starting to advance quickly and i thought this is real. Like this can truly become bad. But then I did a talk, I guess it was last year and I was writing this talk and I was developing the slides and it was called 1984. And it was my concepts from before I got into cybersecurity and my thoughts of the world in general, as opposed to what it's like now and what I have the capability of doing. And it's like 1984 was more of a comic book compared to what is actually in place now. When you look at Pegasus spyware, when you look at all of the uh, the tempest and, and all of the, the collection of data and X key score and, and stuff that Snowden had pulled up. I mean 1984 is a drop of water in an ocean compared to what
1: we're in now. In China. In China is their tech is going all over the world, and mm-hmm. China it hasn't just decided to um you to get collect on just their own citizens they're going mm-hmm. to collect on everyone
0: yeah the first just, stop was the just va like any nation state yeah. yeah the first stop was a the va they popped the va and got medical records and identities and they've been building dossiers on american citizens for years um and nobody knows why like just general citizens they're building full of, like dossiers on people um, and it's, it's bad enough when I have to send like, so here, here's a funny story for you, Kurt. Um, I was curious about what data the government had about me. So I knew that-, None. that you are
1: has nothing on you. <laughs> so, it's all private. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so,
0: so I wrote them a letter. I did the online you know, Freedom of Information Act and request anything that had my, my information in it. Well, I get this nice little envelope back and my roommate- Back in Alabama, um, got the mail and he, he sent me a screenshot, a photo of this envelope from Department of Justice. And he was kind of like, oh shit. Um, I said, no, no, it's no big deal. It's probably my uh, return on the FOIA. So he opens it up and takes pictures of it to send to me. And I'm looking at it and literally knowing my history with the FBI, knowing all the work that I, I've done and that, you know, things are linked to today. But the letter itself was literally we have no comment on no comment. And I was like, wait a minute, what, what does that even mean? Like, you, you can't, you can't tell me if there was, and if you could tell me, you still can't tell me. Like it, I was so mind boggling. The the words that they used was a lawyer speak, obviously. And I had no fucking clue what it said. Like it made no sense. Uh,
1: And you're worried. I'm not worried about the government. Mm -hmm. I'm worried about the companies that are dealing with China. Yeah, the government. I mean, here's the fact. I mean, we 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 live in we we live and are lucky to be protected by the most powerful defense organization mm -hmm. in the entire universe that we know of, and that and and and, but there are up and coming powers mm -hmm. that understand the really the beauty of technology, right? And and, And
0: those those same powers are launching hypersonic missiles into space.
1: Yeah. And they're also, by the way, getting our are getting corporations, U.S. corporations to deal with them. Mm. And they are they are in the U.S. corporations are bending to the will of these foreign powers. And that means that the foreign powers are going to exploit whatever data they can get out of those corporations. Mm. And that's scary. I mean, uh, ultimately, every four years, we get to change who the hell runs this place. Thank God. And we, Thank God. You know what? Thank God. You know, and, and, and the reality is Democrat, they're all lousy. I mean, that's that's just a fact. It takes right. power, power corrupts. Um, you have
0: power corrupts uh, people. Absolutely. Yes. completely. Yeah.
1: And, and and we ha- and it's OK. We could throw we could throw. That's the whole purpose of that was the founding fathers knew it. They knew that governments were bad and they, they had that mm-hmm. potential and that we want to be able to cha- shake things up. But we don't have that. Po- we don't have the possibility with our with these foreign adversaries. No, not Those only four-
0: that, but 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 think about the elections and think about how our politics are going right now. I mean, as a citizen, I don't really think that we have the capability of changing the way things go, because I think that the government and this may sound you know tinfoil hatish, but I the way that I look at the government is it's one large corporation now, and they're each in business deals with each other, and the people have been kind of. Pushed out is the way I look at it. I,
1: you know, that was I've I've been struggling with this with Afghanistan because mm-hmm. having a having a coherent thought process on on Afghanistan and then watching Trump now whether I'm for Trump or against Trump now I actually vote I just I voted for Trump the first time and I didn't vote for him the second time here's the reason I didn't vote for him the second time was. I couldn't let my kids listen to him. He was always so mean. And you really want a president that's actually not, you want a president action, presidential, not someone who's fighting with everybody in town. But right. here or there, but what was interesting was Trump, Biden tried to told Obama, don't follow them, don't get let the military um, suck you into getting 30,000 troops over to Afghanistan because they're going to mm-hmm. ask for another another 40,000, which evidently happened. Mm-hmm. And and he and and Obama tried to get the people out soldiers out of Afghanistan in 2014 the, the combat mission really ended I think 2014, right? But we're still there. The is still there. And then Trump would try. Did everything. I mean, he. I think he earnestly tried to get people out of Afghanistan during his president. And everyone fought him. Then mm-hmm. after he lost, theoretically or however you think the election went, after after he was it looked like he lost. He lost a. He de- then decided to do, pull the plug on the military mission. Mm-hmm. That was as important to him as actually fighting his election. And, right. and so he ordered it. And then, they people met with him and said, "Keep them in, keep them in." And then, so Biden comes in, and this Biden's like, "We're out of here. We're gone." And the military pushes to extend that mission for um, for another six months, and then extends it again for more time now the military must have been pretty much assured that biden was no longer going to play this game right but they weren't even ready to leave i mean that was and i actually had this experience over in iraq where the military couldn't pull out of anything they they were reluctant then once the military was there that infrastructure was was i mean the military controlled every palace mm-hmm. if you were a general you had to have a palace and and that was disturbing. Right. But then to watch the military know that, th- that our president was going to tell him them to leave and still keep everything in place until it turned into a complete disaster was an embarrassment. Yeah, Biden I'm, made it perfectly clear.
0: Oh, yeah. and I, You know, going back to Iraq, one of the first places that we took over and made a presence was Saddam's palace. I mean, that, that's yes. typical. You, you go in, you take over the country and set up shop in the leader's headquarters. I, that's lived why, I lived in yeah. it. Yeah, with a nice pool out back. Oh,
1: oh yeah. yeah, that was one. Yeah, the yeah the, the, the nice pool. You had the, I mean, a uh, long hallway through it, and, and then all these. Then what we do? Like we're the low rent guys. We bring in the mobile homes. We throw all the pods out back after you know, ruin the whole place for Saddam. Yes,
0: that and that and the super yacht that they end up uh, blowing up off the shore. Um, but yeah, I mean that's like the biggest slap in the face to any foreign dictator is taking over their home and, and setting up shop. But you know one thing I don't understand, and I've, I've fought this for forever since I've been of legal age and, and able to be in the military, was the fact that when we have presidents that come in and, and they, they run for office, why are we not requiring the chief of the biggest army in the military in the world? why aren't we requiring them to have some honorable military service you know that that to me is bullshit yeah, that to me, that was the hardest part of following any president because I, I had been through a couple presidents um, in the military and taking direction and hearing them politicize what I was actually doing and knowing that they had no experience. in What I was doing was disturbing because to me, it felt like a money uh, enterprise driven conflict. It, it was no longer freeing people and, and, and spreading democracy. It was more like infecting countries with with that mantra of enterprise and capitalism
1: we i I gotta tell you i'm i'm actually on the other end of it okay i don't i mean my my son lived almost his entire life with a country at war he was Mm -hmm. born in 2004 and he and he lived with with soldiers overseas and there's something disturbing about that yeah, the the, totally. the, the the eternal wars. We're, we're, the, are we're. we Rome? I mean, I I, I think that the I, th- I think the president, I think the president has less power than they, than people give him credit for. I think that the pres the presidency, and you always see this with I'm going to do this this and this, and then the, the congressman said, Look, yeah, you can do any of that because we got the votes. And you you can do you know presidential edict, but we're going to just change it in four years. I don't think the presidents have as much power as they think they do but also i don't want presidents i want presidents that, that are, are as much out inward looking as outward mm. presidents that looking looking at our country and our infrastructure and looking at the people and trying to figure out how how this how this collection of people should should handle themselves well, they they've you
0: know, lost you know? they've lost touch of that though I, I think that the government as a whole has lost touch with what people actually go through on a citizen yes. level i think they put themselves so far above us and above the law and above everything that's going on and isolate themselves, that they really don't have that, that in touch and, and, and that empathy with, with normal everyday people.
1: Yeah. That's what, that's the same thing with the military. If you have a president who's, who's the military, I don't want a president who's the military leader. He has a whole, he has a largest military in the world to advise him. Mm. He doesn't really need to have that, you know, oh, I need to be the you know Caesar or whatever it is That's So, but there isn't there something beautiful about having a woman president that doesn't have any military.
0: Condoleezza Rice was my biggest. If if we could have Condoleezza Rice as, as president of the United States, I would never have anything bad to say about the government ever again, um, because she's she's intelligent, she was effective, <laughs> she knows what she's doing. But here's here's the problem, right? So the late Colin Powell, um, when they addressed him about becoming president or running for president. He said, the people who are qualified to become president don't want the fucking job. That's correct. And That's and, correct. and it's true because they're, they're a voice and they're a puppet. But, but the problem is, you know, when we're talking about military, the president has the power to enact, you know, go into war basically without, without solid, you know, backing. Uh, we saw that with Bush. Um, and and the war powers are are extremely powerful. Uh, that's what worries me as you know a military uh, member is that here's a guy that can pull the trigger on a war who's never been in war. That was my that was that's my biggest pet peeve. But the the whole loss of contact with humanity and, and, and civilians with the government is is what's really terrifying me because even like you look at the way they handle COVID. Um, you look at the way that they address people like normal, everyday people. And it's not like it used to be. It's not like during Ronald Reagan's time. Um, we've become basically a different class and we've put them on a pedestal and they've taken that pedestal for a run.
1: I, I, people want, I like the fact that the that government is conflicted with are mm-hmm. political fights Mm-hmm. That people get out there and they, they're and and those moms want to go and complain about the educational system and COVID or no COVID because that's what this political system is about. Right. We are not supposed to be of one mind. We are of thirteen. We we started with thirteen states. We're fifty states. We're a whole bunch of different people, and we all have different opinions. Mm-hmm. And we and sometimes we come to consensus regionally, locally, and sometimes nationally. But that's what makes that's what makes America the great place it is because our politics are real. Right. Unlike China, right. where they're not real or Saddam's where ninety seven point nine or ninety nine point seven percent vote against them. But that that's I mean, people, my, my kids are always like, well, you know, we should get along. I don't want us to get along. Actually, right. I don't even want the Congress to get along because if they get along, they just spend more money. If, if the if the president hates Congress, Congress hates the president. Taxes aren't going up. That's kind of how it works. And that and when it's important, the U.S. does come together that seems as a a people
0: as a people yeah
1: yeah i mean we're the that's the worst thing i was someone once told me when when, i forget what was with iran they were pushing something and they're pushing an issue and Mm. one of the generals said the last thing you want to do is get the u.s against you because when the people of the u.s against you it doesn't matter that's what makes us strong and that's just the truth that's always been the truth yeah i think that's a new world of us
0: I I think Soleimani experienced that
1: firsthand. (laughs) Yeah. Well, but you know, but that's, again, that's one of the, that Soleimani. uh, Yeah. When he, he learned, but he learned a hard lesson, which was that if you you want to take over an embassy, you want the embassy. And and he was, I mean, here's a guy who's a genius. I mean, he really was, he's been in, and everyone says Soleimani, who is the head of the IRGC. He was, um, he was extremist he didn't begin as a str- extremist no. and he would and i I, and I think he was for whatever possibility i would have of actually having interacting i found, i and knowing about him he was a man of his word mm. he was moderate but again in iran most people are moderate mm. i mean that you know iran has less people going to mosques than the u.s has people going to church exactly. they're, they're more secular they're not as this i mean the government is fanatic but the people aren't Mm. People like their they so, but Soleimani learned what was it he learned about? He his idea was, if we want to bother the U.S. Embassy, we'll do with unarmed protesters, and that's the weak point with the U.S. We, you know, the U.S. doesn't know how to handle unarmed protesters, mm. and so they decided they had a they put the put some protesters by the U.S. Embassy, and then all of a sudden that yeah, he took a, I think, what um. I think Russia sent a hellfire missile at him. I mean, was it Israel, Russia, somebody hit him with a a missile and then he died. But but again, you pushed, I mean, you're pushing the envelope there. We're going to, well, U.S. is going to protect itself. Mm -hmm. In some way or another, the U.S. is going to protect itself. We're very good at that. But again, Trump, again, that was, Trump is complex into, into the point where he had all, he, he was not, I don't think he was very, very friendly to our allies. He seemed to like dictators, but right. then when it comes to, when it comes to pushing the button, he evidently once tried, considered doing an attack on Iran and didn't do it probably smart. And then, then all of a sudden the head of one, of, one of our chief adversarial, um, military formations, he just decapitated Yeah, that that's, that's, I mean, like I said, Trump, Trump knew how to play chess. If 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 he was if he was erratic, it created it create problems for other people. Just yeah, and as think, much as yeah,
0: yeah. I, I think he's still doing that. I, I think he's still being very tactical and and with a strategic mindset as well. Because look at look at the the latest, uh, I guess, public appearances by him and, and prepping himself for the twenty twenty four election. I, I think that he's still playing that strategic game, and he knows how to play it. And that's that's the that's the good thing about him. He knows. He knows how to play the game. He knows how to get people to work in certain, you know, I guess areas and, and work towards a certain goal. Um, but I, I still can't get past the fact that, you know, looking at the way the country's gone over the past 10 years. And, you know, when I came back to the U.S. a year ago, this month, um, I walked into a country that had been basically picked apart by COVID and, It just seemed crazy to see like a a city like Seattle where people and protesters had taken over city blocks and was keeping the police out and burning down like, you know, buildings, government buildings in in big cities. It it just blew my mind when I left the country. We were just getting through the end of the war and and people were pro-American and patriotic. And I come back and it's like, wait a minute, we're setting shit on fire. What happened? in that couple of years that I've been gone. I mean, it's, it's been a, it's been a, a huge shift since I think the pandemic.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that the, the overreach, I think got the government, again, and this is the TikTok thing mm-hmm. people looked at back in, you know, the authority was the thing. Poli- the, when I, when I, back in 1992, I think the, the Connecticut state police had hundreds of applications. Mm-hmm. Now the Connecticut state state police can't get anyone to, to join. Okay. They're very, the ranks are very thin people like the authority now people look in the the authority is somewhat oppressive Mm. they'll find but people don't find corporations to be oppressive which is amazing so we have the corporations are sneaking there the the respect law enforcement the i mean when you had when the theory of the broken glass theory of um of law enforcement if you if you stop the people from breaking glass and doing minor crimes, you're going mm-hmm. to stop the minor, uh, the major crimes. But that mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you have stop and frisk, mm-hmm. which then becomes a racial issue. Right. And in, in the U S our weakness is the fact that we had slaves. Yeah, that was, absolutely. and that's still our problem.
0: Yeah. I mean, hundred percent. You live in Like I live in the South and you can still feel that tension. Yeah. And as much as we say that, we, you know, as, as a country, we're not that way anymore. We absolutely are. Yeah. Right. Um, and I don't, I don't think that's something that's ever going to go away. When, when you carry out an atrocity like that on generations of a certain people that you can't, you can't make that up. You can't fix that. Um, and it's not just one race against the other. It's races against all races. And I it's- think that's, that, that's what divides us as a
1: country. It wasn't the Klan mm. that oppressed the, the the African-Americans and the slaves.
0: It, it was a Democratic the government. Party. <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah,
1: it was, no, it was local law enforcement. It was That right. was the problem. It was the authority. Right. And then all of a sudden, when if crime if in, 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 in the North were set, I mean, I was in Louisiana. I actually came back to Connecticut and found Connecticut more segregated than Louisiana, right. not be, economically segregated because all of the african-americans were in a few major cities mm. and then when you go to these the suburbs they were predominantly white now right. there were vietnamese there were some indians but but the, but the african-americans have not made major gains into the into the cities And that but you go down south i mean i, I still remember seeing um signs, and this is after they weren't allowed in Louisiana, that talked about whites only for, for fountains.
0: Oh, you're talking about, um, on the East, the East Texas area of Louisiana, oh, yeah. like fighter, and... fighter, Texas, some of oh, those yeah. places. And what really disgusts me, right? So some of my best friends are African-American. I just had, um, blacks and cybersecurity on, um, I also had black girls hack and, as a people, like we're friends on our level, but when you get up to the enterprise level and government, it, you lose that, you lose it quickly. Um, and that's something I'll never understand is how we can't get along just because of, the color of our skin. That, that makes no sense to me. And so that's what I try to bring to cybersecurity is we can all do this together. Like, there's no reason to be separate and there should be no seclusion. You know, everything should be all inclusive. Um, whether it be Asian, black, white, Indian, whatever, it should be one, one group to fight a a common cause. And I think that's the way that the U S should be, but politicians and money is what drives that, that segregation and that hatred. Um, and not to mention, man, you, you look at the democratic party and, and look at how they fuel off of that, that racial tension and how they drive that to, to boost their voting it just, it drives me insane. Um, and then the Southern border, don't get me, a, don't get me started on the Southern border. That, that is out of control.
1: Yeah. But if you, if you stop, I mean, again, here, I, I think that the, both parties have benefited from institutional racism.
0: Oh yeah, for sure.
1: Both for sure. both parties. One mm-hmm. of the, in fact, uh, that one of the remarkable, th- remarkable things that happened recently was, the. um, Webster's Dictionary changed the definition of racism. Oh, really? Yes, they changed uh, maybe a year and a half ago, and Mm. some young woman, black African American black woman, wrote and said, "This is your definition's wrong," and Mm. because it's 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 also supporting the status quo that reinforces racism is also qualifies and Webster's Webster's and their full name I can't remember, but they came back Mm. and said, "You're right," because because the the institutions, I, the institutions do in fact have been historically biased against um, against minorities. Now, in the FBI, the um, women are not fifty percent of the FBI agents. Really? In fact, and no, they're not. They're like they're they're are much smaller minority. And because of how the FBI does their their promotion scheme, basically you have to move around mm-hmm. to multiple offices to get promoted. So you have to go from one field office headquarters, but bounce around four or five times. But hmm. if you're a woman, you're not going to do that because you're a mother. You may be a mother, right? So they have lost this huge pool of great people with huge potential because they're unwilling to do to to bounce around between offices every two years to get promoted because they have kids, right? And and that's crazy because we we don't have that many we don't have that many women, and they should be. Uh, when I first joined the FBI in New York someone pulled me aside. and said, look, forget about what you're going to work. Get bank robberies, organized crime, go pick your supervisor. And, and they're like, well, okay, that's, that's, he goes, no, here's what you do. Pick someone who's a parent, pick someone who's a parent because they'll treat you like a kid. They'll, they'll know you have to be punished. Sometimes you have to be treated, you know, you know given some leeway, but he goes, there's some having, and I take that as not necessarily parents, but life experience people who have a diverse life experience are able to to be to handle people differently women have that they have been they have been a minority and the bureau has not been able to change its management program to get more women in and they have they have very few african-americans they have almost no middle easterners and one middle eastern person i know is actually a is actually i'm assisting because he was a whistleblower and he got pretty much wiped out and, and they actually his supervisor had a had a sign on his desk the supervisor of this man has signed the desk that said i'm a meat or i'm a pork-eating crusader wow and 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 my this agent was an agent who was blown up in a, in a humvee with a grenade in the humvee wow and why would you ever insult a guy like that
0: I mean, what, is how is that even acceptable to have that sign on your desk in a government facility?
1: Well, and, 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 and here's, here's where I go to the institutional thing. I mm-hmm. actually know that, that that supervisor was overseas. He was fighting. Mm-hmm. He, was, he, was at night, he was in the New York office during 9-11. He mm-hmm. was in the Middle East in 2003 and 2004 when people were trying to figure out what the enemy was. People were trying to figure out the Sunnis and, and, and the Shia. And it just became kind of institutionalized. Right. And if you're not training, if you're not adult, uh, making sure that your people are, um, are, are aware that they bring their own biases to the table, mm-hmm. then you forget about them, then that then, then becomes the norm. And that really is one is I, I don't consider this supervisor to be a bad guy, he served overseas, but he did have he did obtain biases when he was over there. Because yeah. as you know, when you went over to the Middle East what was the first thing they told you, you cannot trust an Iraqi to tell you anything true. They'll right. literally look at you and tell you the sky is red, and they'll believe it. But when you lived, when, when you look at it, that was because Saddam Hussein's government would tell them, "Hey, the sky is red," and if either they nodded yes, Or you or, got buster gas? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they were all these people were had to live. They had to live in a world where you had to lie, right? And and then that that doesn't go away in five years. That that was part of their that had become part of the Iraqi culture. Yeah. That's really and, the shame that that's the shame of it.
0: Yeah, and interrogation tactics are, are a lot different over there as well. Um, you know, we talked about that previously, the interrogation oh, yes. tactics and and how most people believe that you know interrogation becomes effective when you inflict pain or or, or fear. But in actuality, it's quite the opposite because they're used to that pain and fear. Um, that, that's one thing that their government imposed on them. So yes. you come you come in and try to become a friend or, or a confidant, shit changes.
1: I I don't know how the U.S. ever got in the business of of of, of inflicting any type of pain or torture for you know for um, interrogation because we've already been through this once. Mm-hmm. That does it doesn't work. It's never worked. It won't work because you'll have people lie, and right. then you'll have then you'll make more enemies. I mean that I as you, I think the the one thing the bureau does very well is we try to take any person that's a subject. We try to flip them. Mm-hmm. We try to make that subject into our friend, and then we try to get the information out. Maybe we charge them, maybe we don't, and then we put them to work as an informant. Mm-hmm. But they're not. But but every 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 person is a potential friend, except uh, except when you hurt them, right? And when you hurt them, they'll never be your friend.
0: Yeah, I mean, look at Guantanamo. We we've we've taken a whole prison full of people and made them potential terrorists now.
1: Not potential. Um,
0: yeah. True. True. Not I mean, some,
1: terrorists.
0: Yeah. Some of them have gone back to Afghanistan and are now party party leaders in the Taliban. It's America. Yeah, fact. like
1: number 3 and 4 I think are party leaders. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we had them. And um, what what a sh- I mean In the first Gulf War, everybody surrendered, all the the Iraqi military surrendered because they knew that was the best way out. Right. In in, in Iraq there was there were no unlawful combatants. Mhm in, in, in the war on terror, there were, and, and you got to treat people differently. But once they, once the U S military started treating people in Iraq as unlawful combatants, mm. then that turned very much negative. And, uh, and that was that the, the U S has some very interesting standards. One is in our justice system, the basic premise is we will let eight people, 10 people go that are mm. guilty to let one, make sure one innocent man doesn't go to jail. So right. the trade-off is we're going to let guilty people go to protect innocent people. Mm. And then in the, then when we get to the laws of war, the laws of war don't work against us. They work for us right. because people can, people consider, consider us to be, to play fair when all things are equal. Now, Japan, what's been really coming out as, as, as history has developed is one of the reasons Japan was causing their soldiers to commit war crimes The thought process was because then there was no place to, to surrender no one right. would ever accept the surrender from people that were committing atrocities and they were correct they met the marines mm. and, and they turned into this but we want other we want other sides to surrender we want other sides to be we want enemies to become our friends and we want our people we arrest to become our to become help to help us out
0: yeah, good about us. Yeah, I remember my, my military ID card, and on the back of the military, military ID card is the Geneva Convention. Yes. And I swear we have to be the only country that abides by the Geneva Convention to any degree anymore.
1: But that's okay. Isn't that okay?
0: Uh, it, it shouldn't be okay. Everybody. We, we are the
1: standard, though.
0: Right, right. We are we're, standard, we're, standard, I, we're the standard. Everybody should, everybody should yeah. be abiding by the Geneva Convention.
1: But if we don't do it, how can we tell anyone else to do it?
0: True. Very true.
1: That, if the reason there's a Geneva Convention was because, because the industrialization of war made war incredibly violent and industrialized. Mm. But uh, we, yes, no, there, most places don't treat their prisoners like we do. Right. But, but we have to do it because it, work, it, it, it works in our favor. It, do, it ultimately does work in our favor in all different kinds of ways.
0: Until because, until the CIA gets a hold of some of these prisons and making black sites, and then everything changes.
1: I've never heard of the CIA. Who, who are they? <laughs> you know, I I, I I joke. I went. I actually did an interrogation um, of a guy in, in the Middle East, and and he was sitting in a room with two Iraqi guards, and I was. T- and he was just being a jerk. And I was being polite as hell. I was being polite as hell because my thought process is donut and coffee, and I will crush you by talking to you for thirty hours just because I can talk. So I was in there, and finally, I, this guy was just being pain. And he was he was he was chained up pretty well. I said, "No, what? I need to get a cup of coffee." So I I walked out, and then um, I came back. When I came back into the room, he had sweat. Every he was sweating profusely. I'm like, "You okay?" He's like, "Oh, I thought that was a code to like." have these guys beat the living daylights out of me or beat or or or, or 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 beat me up i'm like no I was actually going for a cup of coffee here's some coffee and actually the relate although he give me any information um because he was he was about to die he was he was he was subject to a death sentence he his attitude changed and, I, and 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 i i knew that if he would survive if he had survived the the time period he would have um he would have cooperated but that's i mean pe- people do People are human. And yes, Great. I get it. But I, like I said, w- the reason we push the Geneva Convention is, is because it helps us. And it's mm. not easy. No. It's not easy to look the other way when other people abuse our soldiers.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, that's. Right. And you talk about interrogation. So I, I thought it was really interesting and kind of brutal. Um, you know, the Iraqis are, are so used to that kind of treatment. And so when they encounter a U.S. force, they expect the same kind of treatment. I mean, even their Olympic soccer team who lost a game and went back to Iraq were all tortured and had yes. their feet beat with cane. You know, it's like that's the treatment they're used to.
1: But but what a difference when they I mean, I, I've America. I mean, I think the U.S. As, as a as a world leader is different because our two worst Adversaries, Japan and Germany, are now our our staunchest allies. Right. That people, people that these we don't. We, the U.S. considers itself to have a number of very close allies, but we also have countries that are so close to us they're not even allies. Right. They're the Australia, the United Kingdom, the you Five know, Eyes. You go, yes, you, Denmark. There are mm-hmm. countries that survived World War II that are that you that are very much. Um, they're beyond being allies and i think that's really where we're unique and that's a special that is a special position in the world that we're we're strong because of our allies right i think Absolutely. i think just recently i think china was facing down threatening people in the in um, south china sea and taiwan next thing you know yes next thing you know the british came and then the germans came and i think the germans had the first ships in like 20 years in the south china sea The, mm. the you have australia who's now building nuclear aircraft nuclear submarines these are they're not they're there because they get the point that there's there's a, this one leader in the world one united states that actually is pretty reliable right and I think Afghanistan, if you say we left Afghanistan, what, what, what were we doing there?
0: I know. I mean, when you look at it, our, our, our original interest with Afghanistan was to help them fight the Russians. And we sent the CIA there. We, we helped equip yeah. them. We built their tunnels. We dug their tunnels where bin Laden hid for, for a while. Um, and that started the relationship with Afghanistan. Um, but I truly, you know, when I look at how we have worked through the ages and how Britain has worked, um, Britain was infamous at, at dropping a flag every time they hit landfall, um, their empire grew very, very quick, but with the U S uh, especially in modern times, if you go to a foreign country and you see a, a McDonald's or a Walmart, you know, we've been there. Yes. Um, and that's one of the first things that we pop up, we pop up in exchange. So the, so the military can grab, you know, whatever they need. Next thing that comes is McDonald's and Walmart. You know that we have to Americanize things, and I think that's where the rest of the world kind of gets that negative sentiment um, because we bring capitalism into their country. And to be honest, capitalism is good in some aspects, but in other ways, is very poisonous. Um, and I think they only see the poisonous side; they don't they don't see the the ability to to become somebody through capitalism. Um, but yeah, I mean, just the the world in general today is a really interesting place to live. Um, I would have never thought. When I was born in the 70s and was growing up in the 80s that I would ever live in a world quite like what we have now, where not only do we have to battle people on a physical plane, but also in a cyber realm that never existed before. And there are a lot of political decisions made based on actions within the cyber realm. Um, which I think is super dangerous. I think we're going to get to a point where the next major conflict may be started in cyber realm.
1: It's already going on. I, I mean, I, I just was, I was part of you to a conversation. I think we talked about it was mm. that the first casualties of cyber attack have already occurred. That yeah. pe- People have died because of cyber attacks that you okay. can't look at. If I'm, if I'm, if you're, if I'm looking at, the, in fact i was just doing it the art of war mm-hmm. and then applying the art of war into cyber attacks that you're going to use those attacks as you know initially you're gonna you're gonna you can damage a country now right by and, and this is looking at china is by doing the shock and awe hammering our base our outlying bases that are around china with mm-hmm. with missiles then simultaneously attacking the electrical and water supplies Going out, causing, disrupting the, the infrastructure and then yeah. consolidating your holds. Take Taiwan and then say, OK, now come and get us. Yeah. Find and that's,
0: how- we, We've been doing that for years on a physical plane going in. And we, when we invade a country, taking out their, their critical infrastructure, communications, power, water. We don't even have to go into those countries anymore. We can do that remotely. And yeah. that's the scary part.
1: And you I mean, you look at you look at some of these some of these the malware mm. and there are four three four zero days built into this malware mm. i mean you're like wow that is aw- that is awesome that you, yeah. i mean because a lot of the attacks that we have okay i mean i just was looking you have one attack they're using stuff that's four years old they're using meterpreter they're in mm. and, and they're, they're doing they're doing it they're doing the 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 reconnaissance correctly but they're not using state-of-the-art In you know state of art um did you know
0: code uh, yeah
1: code to do this they're using old stuff and it still works
0: well and and that's the sad thing is that the state of uh, cybersecurity is so bad in a lot of companies and countries that you can look up and see vulnerabilities from like 10 years ago still floating on the internet you still see yeah i mean it's it's everywhere yeah um and people don't fix it. I mean, I literally have been through two ransomware events in the past, uh, I guess, a couple of weeks that were just shocking, like common sense stuff. Um, But, you know, looking at the way that, that we conduct war on the internet, as opposed to the way we do physical and kinetic war, I think the difference is, is now we have people in the younger generations fighting these wars on the internet who have never been exposed or, or had to go into a combat scenario, right? So they don't, everything is not in a realistic concept today. It's like playing a video game almost. Um, and it, it, the people who are trying to defend against that, yeah, we see, see the, the downfalls and we see, you know, where they screwed up on certain code or even there was one ransomware event where they actually took an off-the-shelf product to encrypt the different devices, which was pretty shoddy um but i think when when it really gets scary is when we see state actors and people who are who are, i guess educated in the art of war and strategic planning that get a hold of good code that's when shit's going to hit the fan
1: you know i i um it's one is the priority mm-hmm. because you look at my I'm, i i'm just working on working on putting a gym together in my house and the priority was doing a hundred different things. Mm. If, if you have a, a priority of a hundred different things, you have no priority. Right. And that and, and, and you have to focus your resources on the threats, the actual, this is the, this matter of fact, well, I'm working on with um, the university to prepare a, a, a pen testing course. And then red teaming is critical. Mm. You can, you, sh- every organization, and now, and you look at these organizations that, are doing red teaming for compliance only. And mm-hmm. That's the biggest mistake you could ever make. You need to use your red teaming to actually test your test your reactions, test your capabilities, test your firewalls, and mm-hmm. then you can you you can judge it. Now, here's the thing: they're going to lose, right? Because because in in a short time frame, the red teamers can can make can can break in. I assume that they're going to break in and they're going to say, Hey, look what we got. We won. No, because the adversary is going to break in, but it's not just not breaking in. Once they're in that, you can mitigate the damage. You can block them out. You can start doing the things it takes to actually get them out of your system. Because on average, I mean, I haven't looked recently, but at one point, The average threat, 290 days. Yes. Yes. They're in there for, they're in there forever. So that's the trick. You, it's, if you get breached, okay, but you have to be able to mitigate this, identify them when they're in there, understand how they're pivoting. And this is why that I think that, and I, I I was getting a little confused. We got red, blue, purple, but I do think the purple idea of having Mm. blue team that can actually mimic specific threat actors using specific code and specific Mm. actions of reconnaissance between red teaming is the essential part of that because if you're just relying on antivirus and firewalls and you can't do anything to actually simulate an attack a specific attack within Mm -hmm. that you're 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 really missing um uh, an important part of of the defense
0: yeah and i think that i think that ex-military are actually some of the best defenders and red teamers because we do have that strategical mindset and we do have that militarized kind of behavior. Um, one of the things that we do when we're responding to, to ransomware, or one of those events is micro-segmentation and basically you know, blocking off communications between devices. Yes. But you know, so red team is, is important, blue team is important, purple team is important. The part that I think that we're failing at, and this is what used to get to me as a pen tester, is when someone tells me that's not in scope. And to me, an attacker is not going to go. Okay, well, that's not in scope, so maybe we shouldn't mess with that. It, obviously, that's off limits. Um, that's bullshit. If you hire a red team to do a real pen test and to check your security, there should be no scope. Like you well, should be under fire.
1: Except if the scope you're talking about is in a hospital and you're actually going into the device where there's surgery. Yeah, or- but you could. you could yeah. still. You can still mimic that environment, right? So, right. well, that's that's move the other on to thing. a range. Yeah bingo that yeah. you you don't have to do it in the real environment you can actually create create that in in a virtual environment to attack mm-hmm. it yeah yes absolutely again that but in a lot and i mean i always laugh when I, I i see the red teams and they're like okay they they walk they the report is always the most important i think the most important thing right but, but they, they report all different attacks what to do and then then the red teamers like you know you should just take this stuff offline you should just segregate, you know, segment the whole thing. And the people look kind of at like that's genius? I'm like, no, really, it's not. I mean, this is older equipment. But you look, but the red, but getting the red teams in there and actually have them say you can go after everything, especially the laptops, because you could you could send take the laptops, create a virtual environment, actually have real laptops in there, and let the red team to go go to town on those things for a few weeks prior. And right. because laptops are huge now and look at that. And, and again, the cloud, same thing. You can now take a cloud. You can actually copy the entire thing, put that into a test environment and mm. then let the red team have the one issue that you don't have in that is you don't really have a blue team in sometimes able to respond. If, if it's just the environment, because it's right. not really the blue team's um, the blue team's environment to work on unless you actually start making it more complicated, but you're right. I, I mean, it's, but again, no matter what, no matter what the blue team does, you're going to be better than it initially. Initially. They, yeah. Yeah. If they, if, if, if they're able to identify you, they'll be able to lock you out and and, and then you can try again. I, I, I assume that there will always be an exploitation. If, yeah. if, if everything's at the front, at the firewall and at the, at the boundary line, you know demarcation. You're not going. You, you, you're going to lose. It's you have to have that d- defense in depth, and yeah. also strict. You have to have reconnaissance within the defense within the perimeter. Yeah, get all that, military ideas.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the the cyber defense and cyber offensive uh, measurements came from the military. I mean, it came from that military mindset. Um, I, I thought it was funny you brought up uh, Sun Tzu, the Art of War, because I live by that book. Um, it can be applied in so many different areas, not just you know what you do in, in your job, or not just in the military, but in everything you do, relationships, everything. Um, I think that to me, that's my own Bible is is the art of war. Um, so, Kurt, we have hit way oh, past the hour. I'm sorry. Sure. <laughs> No, no, no. I'm, it was I'm like good. 10 minutes. I'm sorry. I, this is exactly what we did the last time. I know, right? I mean, we could, we could have multiple episodes of just you and I talking. Um, and I think people would be happy with it because we we'll always have such great conversations. Um, but, you know, I, I want to thank you for coming on the show and taking your time and sharing your story. And it's a really important story, I think. Um, are, are there any questions you have for me or for the group that you want to discuss?
1: No, I have to tell you that I saw the T-shirt. Or your sweatshirt, which is what every every red teamer has to have—the black hoodie, because that mm. is it. And I just, my wife just stole my DefCon one. I'm like, look, I have to get one, but I'm picking one of those up because that is the best. Um, and and oh, and by the way, your music beforehand—I was actually writing notes on because I was like, hey, wait, this is all m- new music I haven't heard on YouTube. So thank you very much for all yeah. that.
0: Yeah, I try to make it uh, to 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 be as close to a real show as possible. And and for people who are watching who only see the recorded part of it, we actually meet for an hour before the podcast. And I play a playlist for that week, um, and I mix in different music that I pick up here and there in, in different countries. Um, but again. Kurt, thank thanks you. a lot. And I, I need to put you on speed dial because I think someone like you would be a, anytime. a, critical, a critical asset to have in my back pocket. For sure.
1: Anytime. I, I really appreciate talking to you. It was fun. It was as enjoyable as the last time as this time. So anytime you want to talk, please give me a call, okay? Absolutely. Ian, well, thank let's, you very much. Let's, let's set it up for uh, if you're
0: available on the 30th, we are having the uh, one-year anniversary, and maybe you can stop in and, and be
1: part of it. I will. I already, awesome. have, I already I will stop. I will stop in. And I, I, if you want me, if you want to talk, I, like I said, I appreciate it, especially if there's some re, uh, some new event that we could talk about and badmouth somebody on.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we can find something. If not, maybe I can create one. I don't know. We'll see.
1: Everyone out but, there. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. it. Take care, guys. Thank Take you. Care. Have
0: a good weekend.